Well, good morning to you. Oh man, that was lackluster at best. <laughs> good morning. It is, uh, it's great to see you here this morning. Uh, my name is Daniel Renstrom. I'm the worship pastor here at Brook Hills. Thankful that I have the opportunity this morning to, to get to bring the word to us. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. So you can go ahead and turn there, Hebrews chapter 9. We're beginning today a three-week study in the book of Hebrews, and I want to tell you a couple reasons I'm excited about uh, that study. Uh, one of them is that the, the writer of the book of Hebrews, if you're familiar with that book, you know that the writer of the book of Hebrews is really concerned with helping these Christians understand worship. So there's a lot of reverse engineering of the idea of worship. What happens as we move from Old Testament to New Testament? And, and it's a, that's a subject I, I love for us to be able to think about. So I'm excited about that reason number one. Number two, I, I think that we're going to see that the writer of the, the book of Hebrews, he leans on the Old Testament so much. And as we understand the book of Hebrews better, we're going to understand the message of the whole Bible in a better way. And, but that kind of reminds me a little bit of a, a movie that came out in 1989. So in 1989, I was 10 years old, and this movie came out, and it was a comedy, but it came out to very little critical acclaim. Mo most people did not like this movie when it came out. I, I found this review that the New York Times actually said that it was a painfully inept comedy, okay? So the setup right now is you're probably thinking, why are we even talking about this movie? I'll tell you this though, none of those reviews mattered to me because I thought Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was an amazing movie. I thought it was a masterpiece. Now, if you are not familiar with the storyline of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, let me bring you up to speed here, okay? Bill and Ted are in history class. They're bored with learning from books, they're bored in their history class as they're learning, and they are in danger of failing history class. So what happens is, they, and if they fail history class, they can't go on tour with their awesome band. That's a really key kind of a component there, okay? So a time traveler named Rufus shows up and gives them access to his time machine so that they can go back in time kidnap historical figures, bring them back, and use them in their presentation so that they can get an A in history class and, and the world is great. It's the setup of an amazing movie and I don't understand why everybody doesn't love it, all right? Now here's the thing, even if you don't like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I'm sure you can think of a movie or a book that does something similar to what that movie is doing, which is this, they try to bring life to history. They try to make historical things, things that happened in the past, they make, try to make them relevant. And because, this is the reason why, the further we get away from an event that happened long ago, further in the past, the less relevant, the less relevant it seems to our lives right now. So why even bring that up? Friends, like I said a moment ago, we are in a passage of scripture this morning that could feel distant and irrelevant to some of you. I mean, the things that we're going to talk about happened thousands of years ago. We're going to be looking at some of the temple worship and the Old Testament. And I want to just encourage you this morning. I want to give all of this encouragement, all of us this encouragement. Don't be like Bill and Ted in their history class. Don't be like Bill and Ted bored by what they're learning in all of these books. Because I want to just tell us that there is beauty on the other side of the complexity that the writer is giving us in Hebrews today. 
because the writer of Hebrews is trying to answer this really important question in our text today, Hebrews chapter 9. The writer of Hebrews is trying to help us see what we can do when we feel dirty before God and distant from God. What do we do when we feel dirty before God and distant from God? I was reading a book this, this past week, and the character in this book does something really wicked, something really evil, and immediately after he does that, he wants to go take a shower. Just as quickly as he can get home, he wants to take a shower because it's almost like his insides are on his outsides, and he just wants to wash it away as quickly as possible. And I wonder if any of you have ever felt like that before. Like maybe you've done something or maybe something's been done to you. And it's like you just physically want to wash it away. Just get it out of there as quickly as possible. You know, one of the, the main texts, one of the main things I think about every Sunday that I come here and lead worship is Psalm 40. And Psalm 40, you probably recognize Psalm 40. I'll, I'll just say a little bit of it. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry for help. And then what did he do? He brought me out of the pit, he brought me out of the, the what? The muddy clay, the miry clay. You know, the visual I have in my mind every Sunday that we gather here in worship is that, that God is doing that work again. Every single Sunday, this is what God loves to do. He loves to take people out of the mud, out of a pit. And, and the reason I think about that is this, that all of you come in here and you look really good. <laughs> you have really nice clothes on. You, a lot of you come in here with a smile on, but I know, because I'm one of you, that a lot of us walk in here every week and we feel hopeless, we hurt. A lot of us feel distant and dirty. And this is what we pray that God does every single week. We pray that God lifts, lifts us out of, a, out of a pit, out of the mud, and puts us on the solid rock of Christ. That he helps us see the glory of Christ. So this morning, I have been praying that this text, Hebrews 9, that we're going to read in just a moment, will give us fresh hope that the blood of Jesus can cleanse us completely and welcome us permanently before God. I'm praying that all of us have this fresh sense today that only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us completely and welcome us permanently before God. So I want to invite you now. Let's read from Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 11. Why don't you grab your Bible? And I actually think it's going to be up on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible today. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. So before we dive into this text, I want to give us just a little bit of background, a little bit of context for the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was written to a group of Christians 
that are considering right now, they're being tempted to turn away from Christianity and turn back to the Jewish religion. They've been persecuted, they've been mocked, they're possibly losing jobs, they're being imprisoned, and they feel like what they gained in Christ is not worth what they're going through right now. They're they're being tempted to turn away because the heat's getting turned up And they want to turn back to the Jewish religion just so that it will let up. And so this this letter is written. The writer writes to them, pleading with them, pleading with them to not turn around. And he says to them, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the Jewish religion. Jesus is better because those things were shadows. The Jewish religion was a shadow, and Jesus is the real thing. You know, you and I might not think that we have to answer the same kind of question, Jewish religion or Jesus, but we absolutely have to answer the same type of question all the time, don't we? We go through the same struggle. We know that following Jesus might mean the loss of a lot of things. Friends, it might mean the loss of family, It might mean that some of your kids are mocked and excluded. I mean, have you ever been tempted to just downplay the fact that you're a Christian at any time in your life? I can remember uh, when our family moved to downtown Durham years ago. Uh, Durham, because of its proximity to Duke University, was a really, is a really progressive area. And so as Danielle and I drove around the neighborhood that we we had just bought a house in, we were getting ready to move into, as we drove around, we saw signs, we saw flags that kind of told us that the people in this neighborhood are probably not going to be thrilled to know that a Southern Baptist pastor has just moved in next door, okay? And so I can still remember the first time just walking around in the neighborhood, meeting some of our neighbors, walking around, and getting asked this question for the very first time, what do you do for work? And there was a temptation in my heart, you've probably felt some of this before, this temptation in my heart to say, I'm involved with music, <laughs> which is like kind of true, but mostly not, right? <laughs> You know, years ago, a a friend of mine, a missionary friend of mine told me that for Christians in America, persecution looks a lot more like a raised eyebrow than a raised fist. And what he means by that when he said that was that some of us are scared to death of condescending, disdaining looks that we're going to get from people when we tell them that we're Christians or when people know that we're Christians. For some of you, that's going to mean, it is absolutely going to mean that you are excluded from after-work hangouts, after-work parties, which means that one day you probably are going to get passed over for a promotion that you probably should have gotten. For some of you, that's going to mean that everybody in the neighborhood is invited to supper club, but you and your family, you're not invited. They don't don't want you there. You know, there has never been a time when following Jesus won't cost us something. So the writer of Hebrews comes to them, and he comes to us today, and he says, strengthen your faith. What you lose on earth will pale in comparison to what you gain in Christ. So I want us all now to look at what do we gain in Christ? What does the text say that we gain in Christ? Okay, I have put together a paragraph for you. It's in your notes. So if any of you got the notes when you came in, 
uh, you're going to be able to fill this in. And this, I put this paragraph together so that we could kind of look at one place and understand what the whole text is talking about. We're also going to put it up on the screens. There's a couple of fill in the blanks here. I'm going to give this to us and then I'm going to try my best just to double click on all of these phrases as we walk through the text so that we understand the big idea of what's going on in the text today. So here it is. Jesus was unlike any other high priest. He didn't offer an animal as a sacrifice. He offered his own life. And because he lived a perfect, sinless life, his blood can do what other sacrifices could not. His blood can cleanse our conscience completely and welcome us into the presence of God permanently. I'm going to ask them, let's keep that up on the screens for just a minute. I'm going to let you write that down because that's the cheat code, okay? It's a cheat code for class. That's what the passage is about, the big idea. Let me say one more time. He didn't offer an animal. He offered his own life. Because he lived a perfect and sinless life, his blood can do what the other sacrifices could not. His blood cleanses our conscience completely. And, it wel- and he welcomes us into the presence of God permanently. So one question that this text brings to mind, one question that this text makes us ask is, what is a high priest? In the book of Exodus, God told Moses to appoint high priests for the people of Israel, and they had one job. They were to oversee the ceremonies and the sacrifices so that they could bring the people to God. That's a really important phrase there. You might even want to write that down. Their job was to oversee the ceremonies and the sacrifices so that they could bring the people to God. So sin put a barrier between God and the people, but God graciously gave them a way back and the priests were in charge of those different ceremonies. One of the primary ceremonies was the sacrificing of an animal and they would take the blood of an animal, they would take it before God, and then God would allow that blood to be in place of the blood of the person. They should have, the person should have died for their sins, but what did God do? God allowed the animal to die in their place. But here's the thing. And priests had to offer sacrifices every day, every year. The Ten Commandments showed them, I'm a sinner, I need a sacrifice. The people are sinners, the people need a sacrifice. Every day, every year. So there was a new sacrifice needed every single day. And even though this was a grace from God, we said that a moment ago, it's a grace from God, it was exhausting. And it even pointed to a bigger reality that we need to think about this morning, that the repetition showed its lack of effectiveness. The repetition of all these sacrifices showed its lack of effectiveness. I just want you to think about this for a moment. Just imagine for a moment, for those of you that are married, that the vows that you made on your wedding day became the criteria for staying, for being and staying married. Meaning that every time that you broke one of those vows at your, that you gave at your wedding ceremony, that you needed to get married another time. A new wedding ceremony was needed. So I'm just going to read you a couple of the things that most of you probably said at your wedding. Most of you said something like this to your spouse on your wedding day. I promise to love and honor and cherish only you 
in sickness and in health. I mean, just even think about in sickness and health for just one minute. Most of us know that men are insufferable when we get sick, right? Wives, you care for your husband one time when he has the sniffles and you are like, I'm ready to rethink in sickness and in health, right? But there are even more significant ways that we break those vows. Just think about your thought life and your actions. As, as quickly as you made those vows to your husband or your wife on that wedding day, we know that they were broken. Just almost as quickly as they were made, they were broken. So now imagine that every time they are broken, a new wedding ceremony is needed. So you have to make time, you have to make arrangements, you have to get married all over again. What's gonna happen in your heart after a while? You're gonna say, this is exhausting. You're gonna say, is this worth it? Do I really want to be married? I want you to listen to something that the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7. It's gonna be up on the screen, so you can just look at the screen and listen to what he says. He's looking at Jesus when he writes this, and he's saying, we need a high priest like Jesus. The high priests in the Old Testament, they're not getting the job done that we need. Listen to what he says. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as the high priests do, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. What's he saying there? He's saying that we don't need a high priest that's on the same hamster wheel, right? We need a better high priest. We need a better promise. And that's what, friends, that's what Jesus is. He's a better high priest. You know, the, the, the priest had to offer uh, the blood of the animals. And the, and the Bible says that those sacrifices, though, they had limitations. The Bible says that those sacrifices could only purify their flesh. So I want you to look back at, uh, at verse 13. Just go back in your Bible there. Look at what it says in verse 13, because this is a really important phrase. It says that they could only sanctify for the purification of the flesh. You see that there? All that those sacrifices could do was sanctify for the purification of the flesh, meaning the sacrifice purified them enough to come back again the next day. It was like it was enough to have it purified. One day, your flesh is purified, but the next day, you gotta come back again. In a sense, the blood of the animals could only pause the wrath of God. It could never pay for their sins. In a sense, the blood of the animal could only pause the wrath of God. It could never pay for their sins. You know, there's a thankfulness that we have in our heart when something that we owe is paused, right? But there's a, a very different thankfulness that we have in our hearts when something that we owe is completely paid. Some of you know that uh, after uh, you graduate, if you have student loans, there's a six-month grace period that that organization gives you before you have to start paying on those student loans. So every month where that bill was due, the organization, they could say pay, but they say paused, right? And so month two, paused. Month three, paused. On and on and on until you get to month seven. And once you get to month seven, paused turns to pay. And at that point, it's not a question. It's not pay, it's pay, <laughs> right? 
It's a statement coming from this organization. It's time. The payment is due. That's exactly what the graduating seniors from Wiley College in Marshall, Texas expected to hear. After they graduate, these seniors, these graduating seniors expected to hear that you get six months and then it's time to pay. But on May 7th, at their commencement ceremony, the, the president got up at Wiley College and he said that an anonymous donor had stepped up and he had paid the balance of every single student loan that all of these graduates owed. Every one of those graduating students got to hear paid. They got to go breeze right past paused and they got to go right to paid. You know, for a long time, God said to Israel, there's a day coming when the word pause will not be associated with your forgiveness anymore. I want you to listen to what it says in Jeremiah 31, 34. He says this, that a day is coming when I will forgive their iniquity. And look at this, never again remember their sin. A day is coming when I'm going to do that. I'm never going to remember their sins. Can you imagine? Just think about that. Put yourself in their shoes. Can you imagine the longing in your heart for a day like that? The sacrifices. They weren't doing the thing that they needed the most. The sacrifices weren't keeping God from remembering their sins. The sacrifices gave them no confidence that they were the distance from God and their dirtiness before God was being cleansed. But that feeling, friends, is not just an Old Testament problem, right? It's a human race problem, right? That, that feeling of distance from God, that dirtiness that we feel before God, it's a problem that every one of us feel. And for the most part, we try to deal with that feeling in a couple of different ways. And you might even want to write these down. I think that we deal with that problem that we feel in two ways. We either try to avoid it or we try to atone for it. We either try to avoid that feeling or we try to atone for that feeling. And you just think about a couple of things that we do to try to avoid that feeling. You know, the therapy of going shopping and buying more stuff. The obsession that some of us have over our next vacation, just sitting there working on it, planning on it. The, the hours that some of us spend just scrolling through our feed. The hours that some of us spend in front of a screen, in front of Netflix. The hours that some of us have uh, it, doing all, all kinds of like video games or screens or whatever overworking with zero margin in our lives, getting, maybe getting drunk every single night that you come home, maybe jumping from boyfriend to boyfriend, girlfriend to girlfriend, and adding another expensive hobby into your life. All, all of us do things like that, and for many of us, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but for many of us, the reason that we're adding those things in our life, we're doing those things, is that what we're trying to do is we're trying to avoid the feeling of distance that we might have or the dirtiness before God. But it, there's another, thing, another way that we avoid those feelings. We try to act as if they're not real. You know, this is one of the ways that the world is going to tell you to deal with your feeling of guilt. The world is going to say to you something like this, you just need to avoid it, you need to get past it. 
The, the world is going to tell you that it's just a, a figment of your imagination. It's just in your mind. If it's imagination, then it's a narrative that you've dreamed up and you can disregard it just like it's some kind of little silly dream. Disregard it. Avoid that feeling. Some of you are familiar with Shakespeare's famous play, Macbeth. I don't know if, if any of you have ever read that or you probably had to. I'm bringing up some uh, bad things that you're remembering from high school, you know, English class right now. But in that story of Macbeth, you probably know that uh, Lady Macbeth convinces her husband to go and kill the king, kill King Duncan. And uh, she wants to do that because she wants to be the queen. She wants her husband to be the king. And so she, uh, they, they do the deed. They kill King Duncan. And after they kill King Duncan, her husband is frightened. And Lady Macbeth is trying to, she's trying to console her frightened husband. And she says this, babe, calm down. A little bit of water clears us of this deed. A little bit of water will clear us of this deed. And what is she saying? She's trying to say that if you wash it away with water, that once the blood is gone, the guilt is going to go away too. Now, that phrase, though, is hauntingly ironic. Because later on in the play, if you, you know this, then you know that later on in the play, Lady Macbeth is overcome by guilt and she becomes deranged. She's sleepwalking. We have this scene where she's sleepwalking and she's rubbing her hands together and she imagines that there's blood all over her hands and she's imagining that she can wash them away, but there, there's no way that they're getting washed away. And then she says this, she yells out in the play, out darn spot. Actually, she doesn't say darn. Uh, I made that PG for all of you, okay? But she says, out, darn spot, and then she asks this question. She says, will these hands ever be clean? Will these hands ever be clean? And friends, the guilt of our sin, this, that story highlights this. The guilt of our sin doesn't wash away with water because the stain is much deeper than our flesh, isn't it? It goes down so much deeper than just what we can wash away with a little bit of water. You know, there's one other way that we try to deal with those feelings of dirt and distance, and we try to atone for them by the things that we do. We try to pay our way into forgiveness. You know, we do this in a thousand different ways. Maybe you've got the means to write like a really big check. God's just given you the means to write a big check. And you hope that when you write that big check that it'll make you feel better about some of the things that you've done. Or maybe you volunteer and you're hoping that when you volunteer that it will kind of level out some of the scale in your life. You won't feel as bad. Maybe you eat kale and drive an electric, electric car. Maybe you've done some of those things. You're hoping that whatever you do, it's going to just level it out. Some people try to atone through what they accomplish and their worth is embedded in their accomplishments. And they think if I do enough good things, if I do enough, then the feeling of unworthiness I have deep in my heart, it'll go away. Some of you have maybe heard of the, the Scottish runner, the Olympic runner, Eric Little. Have you ever heard of him? They, they made a movie about Eric Little. It's called Chariots of Fire. It's about actually two runners, Eric Little, but then another runner named, named Harold Abrams. And when Eric Little talks about running, he says this, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And what he means by that is he's saying that God made me to run 
And when I do it, I feel like I'm glorifying with his, him with my life. But when Harold Abrams talks about running, I want you to listen to what he says. I think I put it up here on the screen. It says, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor. And he's thinking about the track, running around that track. I look down that corridor, four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. Abrams put in, puts into word what so many of us feel deep in our heart. Maybe this promotion, maybe this house, maybe this car, maybe this stuff, maybe these clothes, maybe this will actually justify my existence. Maybe I won't feel the distance and the dirtiness before God. So then here's the question. Here's the question that we've been building to all morning, and it's the question that we need to answer. How is it that in Christ, our forgiveness goes from pause to paid? And, and even more than that, how is it that we can deal with the feelings of dirt and, di and distance from God? And then even more than that, how do we sinfully not try to avoid those feelings and atone for them with things that we can do? So I, I, I'm going to give you four statements that I think that we see in our text, and I'm going to put them up on, uh, on the screen again. I, I'm giving you lots of cheat codes here, okay? So if you write these down, you're going to kind of have a way of thinking about the text and it's up on the screen. I'm going to walk through them again, just double-clicking on all, the, all of them. What should we remember when we feel dirt, dirty before God and distant from him? And here are the four things. That Jesus offered himself without blemish to cleanse us completely and to welcome us permanently. I'm going to walk through all of those. I'm, let's keep it up on the screen for just a minute. I'm going to walk through all of those as we close here, let, let, we're just going to take them one at a time. When God gave instructions about the sacrifices, one of the things that he told them was that he wants them to put, the, the, the priests and the people, to put their hands on top of the animal. And that was a symbol of transferring guilt from the person to the animal. And that meant that when that animal died, that that person died in their place. And that's one of the reasons when we go to Isaiah 53 that it says, that it says in Isaiah 53, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Remember that? That's what's happening there, that, that visual reminder that guilt is being transferred to another. But here's the thing. Could you ever say that the animal offered up his life? Could you ever say that? that what, what, uh, what opportunity did the animal have to like raise his hand and go, you know, I'm not ready to do that today, <laughs> right? They didn't have a choice. The, the animal never offered up their life, but friends, that's what's so different. That's the way that we see the love and compassion of Christ, that it says, look at what it says in verse 14. You might even want to underline that. This is beauty, friends, that he offered himself Think about what it says in Philippians chapter two. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It wasn't an unfortunate set of events. Jesus set his eyes towards salvation for you. He offered himself up for you. Don't even have in your mind though that Jesus is like some kind of robot. <laughs> As if he is like Superman and bullets don't hurt him and he just kind of bounce off of him. Just think about what happened in the garden where he is considering the cross and he says, Father, is there any other way? And the silence that he hears back from heaven is the answer. No, there's no other way. And so what does he do? Does he turn around, turn away? 
No, it says he offered himself up for you, for you. Secondly, Jesus offered the unblemished sacrifice. It was without blemish. There's no blemish, no stain. The blood of an animal might have been enough to pause the wrath of God, but only the blood of Jesus was powerful enough to pay for their sins. Just think about that. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that was powerful enough to pay for their sins because the blood of Jesus is infinitely more valuable than the blood of an animal. And just think about this. Today, you go out to eat lunch and you, you get up to the cashier and you, you realize, I don't have my wallet, okay? And so you, you don't know what to do. And then just then, your, your little three-year-old kid turns to you and says, Mom, I've got you. Don't worry. And they hand you their toy credit card. And this thing, like, is the size of your face. I mean, it's huge. It's obviously not a credit card, but you're just like, I don't have any other option here. What am I going to do? So you take the toy credit card, and what do you do? You give it to the cashier. What is going to happen in that moment? They're going to laugh at you, <laughs> right? They're going to say, I'm sorry, we don't accept toys in exchange for food today. <laughs> you came at the wrong day. Friends, here's the thing that we need to think about. Just remember this. The price for your salvation is a perfect, sinless life. You don't have that in your credit card. You don't have that in your bank account. You can't get that. Only the blood of Jesus, only the unblemished blood of Jesus is sufficient for what you owed. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he went to the cross for you. Only the blood of Jesus and now number three, we're going to look at this third one. What does the blood of Jesus do? The blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse us completely. What we need is cleaning that will go as deep as the stain. What we need is cleaning that goes as deep as the stain. But here's the question many of us struggle with all the time. How can God call me clean? Like maybe he can call me forgiven, but how does he actually call me clean? You know, if any of you have ever been to counseling, then you know that what happens in counseling is that one idea is hopefully displacing another idea. So what's happening is that the, the counselor is hopefully listening to you, and if they hear something that you believe or you think or you're talking about that is possibly harmful or inaccurate, what do they do? They give you an idea that they hope will displace that other idea. They want to give you a better idea than the inferior one that you're holding on to. You know, so many of us think that we can't come into worship. So many of us think that we can't share the gospel with other people. So many of us think that we can't come in here and because of all of the different ways that we have sinned. And maybe it's not even things that we are actively doing right now. Maybe it's just things that you think about that you've done in your past. Like when you think about them, there's this fresh wave of, of embarrassment that just kind of comes over you whenever you think about them, even for a moment. And maybe you think, God is tolerating me, but he doesn't love me. Like, I'm not clean before him. Like, like, God is this boiling, simmering pot, and he's just ready to boil over at any moment in his anger at me. So, in a sense, what you're saying is this. If you believe that, and you're holding on to that thought right now, this is what you are believing. You are believing that the stain of my sin is too deep. The dirt of my sin is too extensive. And so, 
to that thought, can I give you an idea that I hope will displace that inferior idea? I just want to give this to you right now, and it's one that you all know most likely. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Friends, if your conscience tries to challenge the gospel, if your conscience tries to tell you that you're, you're wrong for believing that, I just want to tell you, sing that song. <laughs> Say that over and over and over again. Demand that your conscience bend to the truth of the Bible. If you're in Christ, then you're clean. Forever, you're clean. The last thing, fourth thing, you're welcomed permanently. We are welcomed permanently. Some of you know that I served for a number of years uh, in a college ministry in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, one of the events every year that our, our college ministry would do was that we would take international students to uh, D.C. for Labor Day weekend. And, and our hope was that our time in the car with them and our, our time walking around the, the different sightseeing opportunities, that we would have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And, and so one year I was leading that trip and I was driving a 15-passenger van with a big old trailer on, on the back of it. And, and some of you might know this, that after 9-11 happened, uh, security around the Capitol changed dramatically. So you couldn't just drive wherever you wanted in whatever kind of vehicle. And so I was, uh, I was driving up there that year, definitely not thinking about where I was going. And I got really close to a part of the Capitol, near the Capitol, that I should not be in a 15-passenger van with a trailer on the back of it. And all of a sudden, our car was surrounded by police cars. I mean, the lights are on, there are policemen jumping out of their cars and they're yelling at me, turn around, go away. And I, I look in the rear view mirror and these international kids are like, you brought us here to kill us, didn't you? Like, <laughs> we're gonna die in DC. Friends, without the blood of Jesus covering you, that's what you should hear from heaven every single day. Go away. You don't belong here. You can't be here right now. And friends, if you are not a Christian right now, I just want to say to you, I want you to consider that the promise of access that I have been talking about all morning long, the promise of access to the Father is not yours. It is not yours in Christ. You are still having to carry the guilt of your own shame. It's yours to carry. Only the blood of Jesus can clean you completely because only the blood of Jesus can also welcome you into the presence of the Father permanently. So I want to call on you today. Turn to Christ. Turn away from your sin. You can't pay for it yourself. If you're a Christian, then one of the most precious truths that you have to hold on to is what I just shared a moment ago, that you get to hear from heaven forever. Think about this. Forever, you get to always hear these words, accepted. You never have to hear this from heaven, turn away. You always get to hear received, redeemed. You will never hear rejected from heaven. 
You know, one of the reasons that this matters and one of the reasons it's so helpful for us to think about it is that even when we, we sin and we grieve the Holy Spirit, God the Father doesn't give us the silent treatment, right? Have you ever had the silent treatment from somebody after you do something wrong? They're kind of like making, they want you to grovel just a little bit. Just grovel a little bit more to make me know that you really, really mean you're sorry. If you're a Christian, that's never going to happen from God the Father to you. What he says is, I, when you sin, he runs to you, almost like the prodigal father, you know, the father and the prodigal son. He runs to you, welcomes you immediately. He's coming to you. He welcomes you permanently into his presence. 